Uh, and the scriptures for Advent, now we turn through the prophet Isaiah and we pick up in Isaiah, the second chapter, the first five verses this morning. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be the highest of all the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and many nations will come to it. And people will say, come, let us go to the temple of the God of Jacob so that he may instruct us in his ways and we may walk in his paths. And so the law will come from Zion and the word of God out of Jerusalem and he will judge between the nations. He will settle conflicts among the people and they will turn their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning Hooks, and nation will no longer pick up sword against nation, and neither will they train for war anymore. Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated, please. Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Does that sound like a good thing to you? Walk in the light. I thought about this this past week and realized, you know, darkness has some advantages. I remember being younger, thinking of the dark and that actually, if I wanted to keep things from my parents, dark was actually an aid. And as I got a little bit older and was in school and uh, needed and wanted rest for various reasons, I realized that dark would aid me much more than light in terms of of sleeping in. And dark continues in some ways to be my friend as I uh, am in my adult years. A few years ago, between the 2.30 Christmas Eve service and the 7 o'clock Christmas Eve service, I went home and we ate and I had my favorite Christmas Eve tie on and I spilled some food on it. So my wife, as is her duty, pointed that out to me as I got ready to leave the house. And I told her, oh, don't worry about it. It's a Christmas Eve service. It'll be dark. Nobody will see it. Darkness, in many ways, seems to be our friend. Of course, darkness can also make things a little bit more challenging. Many years ago, when I did my very first funeral, I was in a funeral home. And, and the funeral home was not particularly well lit in the chapel. And then they had some sort of strange pink lights over the casket. Well, the effect was when I opened my Bible I could see nothing. The pages were completely white. Well, I soldiered on, as, as I should. And when the service was over, I remember one woman came up to me and thanked me. And she said, Pastor, that was one of the most interesting renditions of the 23rd Psalm that I've ever heard. Sometimes, maybe, darkness will make it a little more challenging. Some years ago, we had a Wednesday night service in the um, Garden Chapel out here on the west side. And I had to get to an appointment on the east side, once the service was over, and the sanctuary, because it wasn't in use that night, was completely dark. But I thought, yeah, I'm here every Sunday. I know my way. And I knew that it's probably shorter to cut through the break in the altar rail here than to go, you know, the extra five feet around. So I made my way quickly. Well, actually, I was jogging through. I, I did manage to get and make the first step, and I ran smack into this platform and went into the uh, 7 o'clock meeting with a bloody shin. You know, sometimes, sometimes the darkness just makes things a little more challenging. Uh, not too many nights ago, we were getting ready to go somewhere. And I decided I need some cash. And so I, I went to the friendly uh, 
not very well lit ATM. And I remember putting the card in and thinking, is this a good idea? I don't know who's around me. I can't see. There's no help. Sometimes the darkness is our friend. Sometimes the darkness is not our friend at all. Sometimes we start to recognize the wisdom of the call of Isaiah. Oh, house of Jacob, let us walk in the light. It reminded me years ago what my parents uh, told me uh, in their dutiful teaching. They said, David, the only things that like darkness are cockroaches and criminals. Maybe there's a place for light. But does it have to be the Lord's light? I mean, come on. This is the 21st century. We're pretty good at our own light, right? We've got pretty long-lasting light bulbs. And, well, quite honestly, I have an app for this. Uh, it embarrasses my, uh, my children, when we, my grown children, when we go to dinner. But, you know, I, I, it's not quite enough light in most restaurants to see the menu. So I could either be embarrassed and pull out my reading glasses, or I can embarrass the rest of my family and pull out my app. And I've got my little light to shine on the menu. But the problem, of course, you recognize is this is light, but it's not that much light. And I do much better reading a menu in broad daylight than I do in the dark, even with my app. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. You know, the temptation is we got an app for that. We can figure it out. We can create our own light. We can make our own plans and come up with our own decisions. And that's part of what shapes the book of Isaiah. As best we can tell, the uh, setting uh, in the early part of Isaiah is uh, in, in the 8th century, about, um, about uh, 720, 737, 40, right in that area, BCE. And the issue is this. There's an absentee landlord called Assyria that rules and collects taxes from two um, kingdoms just to the north of Judah and Jerusalem. One called Israel. You may remember that Israel and Judah, uh, after Solomon, got into a fight with each other and split. And uh, the other kingdom was called Syria. And Syria and Israel decided they didn't want to pay taxes anymore. And, you know, Assyria is not really around here much anyway. And so they decided they would break free. But they felt maybe they weren't quite strong enough to break free on their own. So they sent word to the king of Judah and Jerusalem, join us in this revolt. Well, okay, yes or no. But they put a kicker on it. If you don't join us in this revolt, we, these two nations, will turn and we'll come make war on you. So the king, King Ahaz has a decision to make and basically comes to three options. Number one is he can join uh, Syria and the northern kingdom of Israel and fight this giant Assyria. And the Assyrians are not only uh, big, they're bad. They're really wicked people who just uh, disembowel folks for the fun of it. Uh, not friendly at all. Or there's another option. He could... Get word to the Assyrians and say, oh, bye, I don't, the way I don't know if you know that Syria and Israel are planning this, and why don't you come down, join us, we'll wipe these two off the mat, you can collect your taxes, we'll all be happy and safe. But the prophet Isaiah wants to give a third option. The third option is this. Why don't you turn to God for your security? Why don't you turn your, to God for your safety? Why don't you yield your future to the one who rules all the nations anyway? 
And then Isaiah gives Ahab this most amazing prophecy, which is in Isaiah 7. I know you've heard it. He's, he's got Ahaz. He's talking. He looks apparently across the street or whatever. And he said, look, there's a virgin. She's going to have a child. And before that child is weaned, those two nations you're afraid of, they're not even going to be around anymore. And so basically the options are join this revolt against Assyria, call the Assyrians in to help out, or trust God to work this thing out. You can walk in the light of God or you can walk in your own light. You probably know the king decides, I can make enough light on my own. And so he calls on Assyria and says, I want you to come join me against these two kings. They're going to revolt against you anyway. Well, that's not a real wise thing to do. Basically, it's as if two mice were fighting one mice. And the one mice says, I know who can help the cat. And this is what happened. They call Assyria in. They open the door for Assyria to come to that part of the country. And sure enough, the Assyrians wipe out Syria. They wipe out Israel. And if you read Isaiah or um, Kings, you find out they get all the way pillaging, raping, burning, destroying. They get to the gates of Jerusalem itself. The cat is eating everything in its path. He has made a poor decision. Basically, looking for light, his own light, he ends up finding light by setting his house on fire. I mean, that is a way to get light. But it's not the best way. Sometimes our plans don't work out so well. We can walk by our light, as Isaiah pointed out, or we can walk by God's light. We have a colleague uh, who leads our recovery services, Chris. And he talked about when he first went into recovery, his two AA sponsors told him this. Now, Chris... When you come up with a good plan, I don't want you to implement it. I want you to call us and tell us about your good plan because we care about you and we have a good sense of humor. I thought that's wonderful advice. I wish he would have told Isaiah, look, here's my plans. Here's how I'm going to solve all this. Maybe Isaiah could have smiled and said, I don't think so. But he executed the plan and Hundreds and thousands of people were executed in the process. We can go by our plans and our light, or we can go by the light of God. But there's a catch. The light of God, as bright as it may be, doesn't always show us the short term specifically. The light of God gives us a vision of what life in God's kingdom is like and will be like, but it doesn't always tell us, here's the next five steps to get there. So in many ways, it's a real leap of faith to say, God, I'm going to put myself in your hands. Because what has happened here is Isaiah hasn't given the king a five-year plan. Isaiah has given the king an eternal plan and said, look, here's what it looks like for eternity. People still have fights. Did you notice that? They still have conflicts. But they bring them to God to settle them. And they get settled in a way that people are not coerced or trampled on. But they're settled in a way that people turn from tearing to building. The swords go to plowshares. The spears go to pruning hooks. The things that we used to do to beat on each other, we now use to lift each other up. And with that bright light, God invites us to start living and moving toward that light, which leaves us in these intervening years to try to figure out how to do that best. Not to do it 
the way instinctively we want to do it, which normally, if you're like me, is I, I work on ways that are convenient for me and ways that tend to put me on top. I don't look for ways where we can all be a part of the light together and where we can lift each other up. There's a story of a rabbi and his students, and the rabbi raises the question, how do you know when darkness ends and the day has begun? So one of the students says, well, I know, I know, it's when at a given distance I can tell the difference between a sheep and a goat. It's a good answer, says the rabbi, but that's not it. I know, another, another student says, it's when at a distance I can see the difference between a fig tree and an oak tree. It's a good answer, says the rabbi, but that's not it. And the rabbi says this, it's when you can see in the face of another person the face of your brother or sister. And until you see other people as your brothers and sisters, you are still in the darkness. What kind of light is that? The ways of God are always going to invite us to look at how we can work together, help each other, and not how we can do it on our own to fulfill our plan and desires. Now, I need to tell you a couple things more about this. One's a warning and one's an encouragement. The warning is this. As bright as the light of the Lord is, it doesn't make it easy. Because our instincts are usually for self-preservation, for self-survival, for self-advancement. So I don't want you to think, well, this is Christmas. It's going to be easy to do all the right things. It's not any easier at Christmas than it is the rest of the year. Maybe it's harder because we have so many more things to try to get done. But the encouragement is this. Wherever you are in the darkness, you can always see light. Darkness is what helps light shine brighter. And from wherever you are, you can always move toward the light. A few days ago, the day before Thanksgiving, we were getting ready to leave town and we were running errands. And so I was taking uh, my magical smartphone with its magical light. And I was in the back seat. My wife was driving. And my youngest son was in the front. And uh, we were on a busy street, and I'm playing with my phone. And my wife said, well, look at this. I'm looking at my, my phone. Look at this. She says, what's that man doing? It was a man trying to cross a busy intersection on a walker. And my wife said, somebody do something about this. And I'm looking at my app. My son's looking at me. And while we wait and nothing happens, fortunately, two cars behind us, some men get out and they help the man cross the street. I can make my own light. But I didn't have quite enough light to do the right thing in this phone. But here's the encouragement. God is really good. Two days later, Friday night, my wife is no longer, um, uh, she's not in the car with us, just my son and I are in a car. And we come across a stranded motorist. And by the grace of God, we don't do anything wonderful, heroic, but we help. And what it taught me was, from wherever you are, no matter how many times you've turned away from the light, wherever you are, you can still walk toward the light. An author talks about when he was going on a great ski trip. They had waited a long time to go on the ski trip. They're in the car. They're heading for the ski trip. And lo and behold, on their way to the lodge, a snowstorm blows in. 
It's dark. It's at night. The snow is blowing. They can hardly see a thing. They don't know really even where they are anymore. But up ahead, they see a light. And they decide that's probably the front porch of somebody's house. And they make a decision that no matter what, they're going to head toward that light. Slowly along the road, they make their way. And then to a driveway, and they turn, and they head toward the light of someone's front porch. And as they get there and stop, they realize it's not someone's front porch at all. It's the lights of the ski lodge that they had been looking for all along. House of Jacob, don't just walk in the light. Walk toward the light.